This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hey, everybody. On this episode of the Designated Survivor After Show Lots of stuff happened. We'll be breaking down episode five, season one, The Mission. And as we said, cool explosions, cool gunfights. And if that's not enough, we have production designer Cabot McMullen as well. Let's do this. You're tuning into the destination for TV superfan discussion, After Buzz TV. And now, let the buzz begin. I shot there you go. Uh, if you've been watching After Buzz TV this episode, or uh, tonight, uh, any of the other shows, this is probably some nice little joke, kind of callback reference for I Shot the Sheriff. <laughs> we're just following along here, as we were told as we walked in tonight. We're conformists. That's right. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to the Designated Survivor After Show here on After Buzz TV. As I said, we'll be breaking down Episode 5 of The Mission. I'm one of your hosts, Frank Moran. You can follow me on Twitter at HappyGoJackie. What's up, guys? I'm one of your hosts, Christine Alexis. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Christine Bean with three E's. Hey, guys. It's Drexel Hurd here in the studio. You can follow me at Drexel Hurd. Hey, guys. I'm Renee Ariel, and you can follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at Renee Ariel. Uh, and it's not just the four of us tonight. As I said, we've got none other than the production designer of Designated Survivor, Cabot McMullen, joining us here via Skype. Cabot, how are you, sir? Doing very well. Good to be here with you. All right, let's just jump right into it. So I understand uh, your background is in architecture. So how does uh, somebody that has a background in architecture that transitions into working in production design? Uh, Well, I was in New York City uh, when I first started out, and um, I had a lot of friends who were actors, and I needed sets for their shows. And they said, hey, you can draw, right? And I was like, yeah. Um, So they said, well, we, we need some help. So I started volunteering for theater productions, and that led me to television and film and uh, eventually brought me to los angeles have you always had the uh the the bug to work in the entertainment industry when you first started studying architecture i did you know in high school i was part of the theater company and i was involved in set construction set design um and i've I've always had a keen interest in film and you know how visual metaphors can tell you things about the characters in a story that the script can't tell you with words so it's um yeah, it's, it's, it's been a lifelong interest, and Designated Survivors combined, you know, all the things I'm interested in, so it's, it's really been a great journey. You know, when you think of, like, actors, writers, uh, directors, everybody has people that they, they admire, people that uh, they look to kind of influence their careers. For a production designer, and you want to work in the uh, television and film, who do you look to as uh, sources of inspiration? Well, in the production design field, uh, Ken Adam comes to mind. He designed all the James Bonds John James Bond movies. Uh, in fact, I took some leads from him from Dr. Strangelove when we designed the Presidential Emergency Operations Center, the PIOC. Uh, we looked to Strangelove for the war room. Of course, there's that famous scene where Peter Sellers says, 
gentlemen, there's there's no fighting in the war room. <laughs> it was a uh, so yeah. Ken Adams, uh, a, a big hero. Um, Paul Silbert. Um, you know, there, there there are many designers who I reference uh, in the designs of the show. So, but those are some big ones. So now, how does it work with getting on Designated Survivors? That do you hear about the show and you uh, kind of approach production and offer your services? Do they approach you and say we'd love to, for you to be a part of the show? Well, in this case, uh, I was approached by them. Uh, in fact, they didn't have a, 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 a director on board at the time. I was brought in very early in the process because they knew they would have to start scouting locations and to try to figure out the sort of logistics of the show before a director came on. It turned out they hired Paul McGuigan, who I had done an episode of Smash with in New York. And so Paul and I had a little bit of history together, and we were thrilled to have been teamed up on this. Um, but yeah, I was I was pretty early stages. They didn't have a, a cinematographer yet. Um, it was just myself and the line producer. We flew up to Toronto a few times, scouted locations. And then when Paul came on board, we went to Washington, D.C. and scouted um, three or four times. We had a couple survey trips down in D.C. That's cool. I, for, for this, when you're doing the pilot, are you using just uh, actual locations, and then once you get picked up to series, then you're replicating those in sound stages? Usually that's the strategy. You would, uh, you know, before a show is really picked up, generally you shoot on location, and then if you get a pickup, you build a lot of those interiors on stage. Um, and that was the original strategy going in, but once, once we got down to D.C., we noticed uh, there were some things that we just couldn't reproduce in Toronto, and so we ended up building uh, the entire West Wing, including... It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline the Oval Office on a stage. We built the Peox set on a stage. Uh, we did a lot of the motorcade stuff in Toronto, but then did sort of, uh, you know, interstitial things in D.C. So we connected all the dots between D.C. and, and Toronto. Uh, when you're actually, I mean, you get the chance to do recreate the Oval Office. I mean, things that have been done in, in many television shows and films throughout the years, how do you, I mean, basically, are you, is there a way to reinvent the wheel or are you just basically, we're just going to follow what's always been working tried and true in, when building the Oval Office? Well, it's a great question. Um, you know, when you're, when you're doing a story about something, you know, like the Oval Office, I mean, with the 24-7 news cycle, with Scandal, House of Cards, um, Veep even, you know, so many, everyone's just intimately aware of what these spaces look like. And so if you take too big of a departure, it kind of takes you out of the story. Um, we referenced, we did a lot of research. Uh, we referenced FDR's administration, uh, Nixon. We, we, we took the drapes in, the, in our Oval Office from FDR. Uh, all the flag ideas came from Nixon. Uh, the furnishings and the color story came from Reagan. Uh, the interesting thing about Obama's uh, Oval Office is that he brought in Michael Smith, the California decorator, to uh, you know 
bring the decor to the Oval Office and he put stripes on the walls and no one had ever seen geometrics on the walls of the Oval Office. So we referenced that. Uh, in our story, we ended up using a, um, like a lattice pattern. But that, that actually gives you the opportunity to sort of see the geometry of the room. When it's all just painted white, it, it flattens out and you can't really see the shape of the room. Um, so yeah, we, we really dug into the his, historical archives. We pulled architectural drawings from renovations that had been done at the White House. Uh, we looked at movies like United 93, The Candidate. Uh, I mentioned Dr. Strangelove. So you know, we, we, we really dug in and did our homework. Well, I think it's interesting in designing this White House because usually any president that's sitting in there is going to get it redesigned to kind of fit their styles uh, and taste. But you're designing it for uh, the president that Tom Kirkman succeeds. So in a sense, you're not really designing it for, for Tom Kirkman, but the previous president. Yes, that's a great observation. Um, we designed it for uh, President Richmond. Um, and it's a very similar scenario as to when JFK died and LBJ stepped into the White House. Uh, through our research, we found out that Jackie Kennedy had just finished the renovation of the Oval Office the day JFK died. And so LBJ literally walked into his brand new decor. And out of respect, he kept that decor for some time before he turned it into his own space. And that's that's what's going on in Designated Survivor right now. So eventually Tom is going to like, it's going to be really chill, <laughs> laid back in that old yeah. office. <laughs> now, I know, I've been talking to you off, Kev, but anybody else have any questions you'd like to ask? Uh, what's been your favorite set to design for this show? Well, oddly enough, it's probably the smallest set um, that opened the pilot. It's the FBI safe room where Kirkman is um, uh, held up, you know, in... Mm-hmm during the State of the Union address and when he discovers that the Capitol's been bombed. We looked for many weeks trying to find that location. It was uh, intended to be sort of referencing a Cold War uh, bunker in what's called the Defen Bunker, which is in Canada. It's an underground facility where the Canadian government is taken in case there's a big event like that. Um, and so literally like a week before we ended up shooting that scene, Paul said, well, we're just not finding it. Let's just build it. So we, we put that little set together, and it's in a you know, corner of the studio. And, but what's really cool about it is that um, to get that Cold War feeling, we printed our own wallpaper. And if you take a really close look at that set, you'll see that it's another Kubrick reference. It's, it's a pattern that was influenced by David Hicks, who designed the carpeting and The Shining. So Designated Survivor opens with a Stanley Kubrick reference, and then it closes with the, the Peacock, which is a reference to Dr. Strangelove. So, <laughs> nice. It wasn't intentional, but it worked out that way, and we thought it was kind of cool. So, <laughs> uh, uh, Hi, Kevin. Um, thanks for coming on. I just had a, couple, I just had a quick question about you've done you, – you mentioned um, doing the production design on Smash. Um, yes. You also did several episodes of Scrubs. And uh, Halle Berry's extant on CBS. So, which, what has your been your favorite kind of set to design for? That is it that is it that Washington D.C. Um, style? Is it that hospital style? Is it that futuristic style? Well, they're all they're all wonderful opportunities. Um, the unique part of extant was getting to collaborate with Steven Spielberg, and we actually sat in a room with him on several occasions and 
he's always the, the brightest guy in the room, you know, so, you know, that, that was very inspiring, you know, creating zero G on a TV budget and a TV schedule was quite a challenge. And I really enjoyed that. Um, Designated Survivor for me was one of the best projects I've been a part of because it, it, I'm kind of a political junkie and I love all the sort of intrigue and layers of, you know, power grabs and all this stuff that's going on. I mean, this, this show is so much of our time right now, given what's going on in this election. So, um, so yeah, for me, it was great reproducing a piece of history and then sort of upping, upping the game a bit when we created the PX set. One thing, just going back to Spielberg there, is you said the smartest guy in the room. So somebody that's already been working like yourself in the industry, when you get in a room with Steven Spielberg, is there something that, uh, some uh, piece of advice, some kind of uh, different way of approaching something that he kind of imparted onto you that you took away from that experience? Well, the meeting that we had with him was to pitch the designs for the show. And there was a very big issue about going up in space as I said, on a TV budget. <laughs> so, you know, because there's just, you have so many special effects that have to be incorporated. And, and he came up with this idea almost on the fly of creating a centrifugal uh, wheel around the ship that created uh, artificial gravity. And so we all just kind of looked at each other and was like, why didn't we think of that? You know, and it was, I mean, I guess he's, he's been active in this field for so long. He's probably seen everything, but uh, it was it was kind of one of those amazing moments where everything sort of came together. Uh, it, of course, is, we've been talking about all the sets you've been doing for Designated Survivor. You're recreating uh, realistic sets, but then also you have the opportunity to recreate something that we hopefully will never get to see, is the, the Capitol building exploding and the ruins of yes. that. So how did you go about approaching that? How do you uh, kind of research what it would be like if the Capitol building exploded? <laughs> well, uh a couple of things went into that. I was I was in New York uh, right after 9-11. I actually had a studio down on Fulton Street, so I was two blocks from the Trade Center. And um, about a week after those buildings fell, I, by some miracle, found myself at Ground Zero at 2 o'clock in the morning. I was with an architect who um, had been involved in the concourse level of, of the Trade Center, and so we got permission to enter, enter the grounds, and um, and it's just a scene I will never forget. And so we, Paul McGuigan and I, were looking at photos, documentary photos, of 9/11 at Ground Zero uh, at night. And so that became the inspiration for the look of those scenes. Um, most people don't know this, but the first couple of nights at 9-11, there was no power downtown in Manhattan. And so the first uh, generators and lighting that arrived on scene down there were film crews. Uh, all the guys who I used to work with in Long Island City out in Queens got the word and they, they took their trucks down there. And that's why those scenes have, or those those photographs have such incredible, you know, uh, theatrical qualities to them. So that was our goal, was to try to recreate those looks. Um, so that was kind of our backstory. And then um, we went to Washington. We got a personal tour of the Capitol building. We went into the House of Representatives. And then we scouted the exterior um, steps of, of the, the House. And that's where we kind of 
found our POV of which corner of the building we wanted to build our set from. So if you look at those shots, the foreground is all a constructed piece of scenery. It's a big set. And then the background is all CGI. It's all virtual effects. But, um, but it came from a very real place, you know, between our own personal experiences and then what we witnessed uh, or scouted in, in D.C. in April. Well, that it kind of ties really well into this episode because part of that is finding out the uh, the, the real plans for the Capitol building. When they go under renovations, they're, uh, they're mm-hmm. held confidentially uh, since 1945. Now, how much of that is about like hidden offices and things like that are all based on an actual uh, history in terms of the, the, the re- uh, renovations for the Capitol building? There's, there's a lot of truth to what's going on in this show. Um, Room 105. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you, if, you, if you look at the opening credits, there's someone named Rich Klein who's credited as a producer. Uh, Rich uh, works for McClarty Associates. McClarty Associates is a consulting firm in D.C. And Mac McClarty, who's the principal, was uh, President Clinton's chief of staff. So we had... Um, you know, very privileged access to all the people we needed to talk to to get it right, uh, thanks to Rich. So we met with uh, D.C. Metro Police. We met with FBI. We met with Secret Service. Uh, We were given a private tour of the West Wing one night and actually stood in the Oval Office. Um, The most exciting part of that for me was we went out to the Rose Garden. We got to meet Sonny and Bo Obama, the the Obama's dogs. (laughs) They were out there doing their business, but uh, we were happy to say hi. <laughs> That's but, awesome. Uh, but, you know, uh, when we talked to everybody, we said, well, what was it like on 9-11 in D.C.? You know, what did you experience? And they said, well, the one thing we all remember was that the whole sky lit up red because they put these flares down at the intersections so that the Secret Service and everybody could fly through uninterrupted. So if you look at the pilot episode in the beginning, all those motorcade scenes where there's flares all over the place, that was directly taken from uh, the meetings that that Rich gave us. Uh, There were also some other little details, like he said, when you go to the West Wing and you go into the cabinet room, everybody has to put their cell phone in in a safe box. So outside of our PX set, we had a little box there where you drop your phone in, and it's like a little lead lined box so that nobody can ping your phone and find out where you are or what's being said. And um, and then there's a scene in the bathroom. I don't know if you remember that in the first episode where Cal Penn meets mm-hmm. uh, Kirkman for the first time. And and when Cal worked on, you know, at the White House, he said the one thing he remembered was they had a shoe shine machine in the men's room of the, of, <laughs> of the White House. So we put one of those in. So, you know, there's all these little touches that kind of tell you some sense of reality of where you are. Now, for you, uh, Kevin, how far ahead are you working in terms of production? Well, um, I'm not on the series now. I did the pilot, and I was invited back to Toronto, but I couldn't, you know, spend eight months in Toronto. So (laughs) (laughs) some of my team is still on it, and there's a few new people. But um, on the pilot, we had... Uh, I think it was six weeks prep, really five weeks. So, um, you know, we had the script. The script uh, did evolve. We had a whole different opening sequence. Originally in the pilot, the um, opening was supposed to be Tom Kirkman uh, rowing on the Potomac, and then that switched to him running as a jogger, and then 
it ended up just opening in the FBI room. So things like that changed, but the core story stayed pretty much the same. And um, and so we had about five weeks to put it all together. Man, so uh, so Kevin, uh, now that you're not in Toronto for for eight months, are you uh, here in Los Angeles, or where are you located? I'm in Los Angeles. Uh, I went from designated survivor to a little indie film called Super Troopers 2, which is <laughs> nice coming, coming out in uh, probably the next summer. And I just started on a new show called Powerless for NBC, which is a DC Comics oh yeah uh, workplace oh. comedy, which should be launching I think in February. I saw uh, Vanessa Hudgens and Danny Pudi right there doing that. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Alan cool. Tudyk. Yeah. yeah, it's a great cast. Fantastic uh, team on this one. So um, uh, they screened the pilot at Comic Con, and it, it was really well received. So I think I think they're onto something here. That's yeah. always the interesting thing. I think with the production designers to go from the pilot to when the series gets picked up and what has to change because sometimes you'll see like a house setting or an office building that well just because of the necessity of shooting it on location since it's only a pilot to how it transitions to when you put it into a sound stage. Yes, that's that's a big consideration. Um, in this case, on this show, they're pretty much scrapping the pilot and we're reshooting everything. They've done some recasting. It's almost a re- complete retooling of the concept of the story um so you know sometimes you go through big changes like this sometimes it's small um on designated survivor it's pretty much the series is what the pilot was so it's it's continued pretty much as it was intended very cool yeah uh uh, kevin thank yeah Thanks so much. Now, if people want to kind of follow your your, your progress, what you're working on, what's uh, is there? Do you, do you broadcast your activities on social media? I know you're not on Twitter, but uh, anywhere else yeah, people I'm on can Facebook, follow you. Facebook. I have a website, uh, which is my name, cabinmcmullen.com. Um, I'm on Instagram. Uh, haven't jumped on Twitter yet, but I'm everywhere else. So. <laughs> oh, awesome. Uh, now, Kevin, we also like to do predictions for the show. I, I don't know how much you know about what's coming up this season. Uh, do, you, do you want to do a crazy prediction before we let you go about where you think this uh, this season's heading? You know, I really don't know, but I have heard from people who I trust that by episode six, the show is so addictive and compelling that you won't want to miss it. <laughs> There's a lot of I. It, this one really had a lot of fun stuff in it. This episode, yeah. so I think by episode yeah. six, I could see us uh, definitely being sucked in for the big for the rest of the season. Yes, awesome. Well, keep watching. All right, Kevin. Thanks so much for joining us this Thank evening. You. Yeah, Thank you. Thanks, Kevin. All right, have a good show. Take, Take care. care. Thanks. Look at that production designer Cabot McMullen, very very cool dude. Yeah, yes. And it looks like he's um he's also producing a documentary about a fifteen year old boy with autism. So oh wow, um, oh. it's called Growing Up with Julian. So at least that's what oh very cool. Oh yeah, well that's goes from set design to producing, and so that's great. That's it all. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. It's a triple threat. Triple threat. <laughs> that's right. Just like Drexel, everybody. No. Look at that. Yes. Yes. yes we have to no, shout no, out no. Drexel. We're so happy to have you on Thank the panel this week. Thank you for starring. Yeah. This is definitely a trade-up situation. I mean, usually it's Michael Klaus here. <laughs> <laughs> but whatever. Whatever. In Switzerland. Yeah. No, no, no. We, uh, we they, <laughs> they only They only call me in when they have, when I, for all the political shows. They only ask me to come in for <laughs> You were my first one. I was like, who can fill in? Drexel. <laughs> so, yeah. So, for, for those, I mean, I do all the, I, mean, I do Quantico, but I also do all the other political shows on After Buzz, uh, Trump versus Hillary, which which hopefully will be wrapping up soon, and um, and, uh, and and political culture on Black Hollywood Live. So it is great to be on a, another political show uh, or something that has to do with politics. 
Are you yeah. going to be sad to see everything wrap up? Do you will you miss the conversation? He's like, no, I'll be happy to put a book, uh, close that chapter and let's do something. Uh, else. I, we're definitely going to take a break after the election's over. Um, hopefully, it'll be over that night and we don't have to drag it out um, too long. But I think we're going to you know we'll take a little hiatus and then we're going to revamp probably come January and see what happens. Mm-hmm. We want to keep people engaged. I think it's very. I mean, you know, definitely um, this year because encourage a lot of young people and we want to keep people engaged. So. Very yeah, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, speaking of engaging folks, uh, in terms of for, for this show, you can like us on Facebook. Give us those five stars on iTunes. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can also hop on the chat. We're going to pull the, the chat up there. Uh, Renee's got the the computer up in the chat room going as I well. Do. So Chat with me. Yes, we know there's been a lot of chat going on <laughs> even before we started the show. We really liked how everybody was just getting in there, uh, sharing their thoughts and uh, opinions about the show. So keep doing that. If you have any questions about the, the series in general or this episode in particular, go for it. And we'll start talking a little bit about this episode. Guys, yes. the mission. So yes. good. I really, really, really enjoyed this episode. I was on the edge of my seat. I was literally she almost fell off. I did. <laughs> it was next intense. <laughs> this episode was intense. Yeah. I really liked that we got some questions answered, but and I, I feel like we're going in a very specific direction now. And also Hannah had her moment of I told you so, and I was like, Yeah, Hannah, kill it. So <laughs> yeah. I was into it. Well, okay, you just said you feel like this uh, this series is heading in a in a direction in particular. What direction do you think that is? Um, the direction I call it from the first episode, inside job. Guys, <laughs> yeah. But did we think that it wasn't an inside job? I don't think there was ever a moment <laughs> a from the from the pilot that you didn't go. Oh, that was an inside job. Michael Klaus. Yeah, there was really yeah. <laughs> it was like the absentee. Yeah, that's why we're doing better with Drexel here. Finally, somebody that gets it. <laughs> it was about time, though. I mean, I come on. I, I felt the same like you did when Hannah had that moment of just laying it all out there because. As a viewer, we were like, okay, come on. It's it's, it's yeah. time. We need yeah. to all be on the same page and progress the storyline, which I'm so glad they finally did. And it's just it's just getting a lot juicier. Well, Ugh. I'm just happy then because that means we're not going to have any more scenes of Hook Stratton coming in. Uh, President, we're wondering what you're doing about this Nasir operation. What are you, are you? I was like, oh, please. Every time she comes in every episode, it's like, what are you doing now? What are you doing now? Please. I'm tired of those scenes. So. <laughs> I'm glad we can we can now at least he's done something so now we can move on with those. Uh, but we start the episode. I mean, Tom's sleeping, but uh, you know, but he, but he wakes up early. Great, great way to start the episode. He's got that. You know, I guess you get acclimated to uh, waking up super early as president yeah, of the United States. It's still dark. It's it's little <laughs> still dark. How cool! So that's a, what kind of person wakes up before then. It's little touches like that that show you his progression. I think just like over time, because initially he was like, "Oh man, I'm so burnt out," and now he's like, "No, this is it. This is my life." Yeah. <laughs> right. One of the things that I noticed about Tom Kirkman is that, and I wrote it down. I said he is one of those people who. Wants to know, like, he's so insecure about what he's doing that he wants yeah. to know everything. Yep. And you're like, Mr. President, there's a lot going on. Let's just <laughs> give you what, you know, all the facts that you really need to know. You don't really have to be everywhere. So there are a lot of scenes where you're like, Tom, calm down. Yeah. You got it. They got it. <laughs> They've been doing this much longer than you have. And you really have to trust the people on the ground, yeah. uh, especially the people around you. But I feel like you can't micromanage as a president. Right, but in his case, he's so insecure that he has to feel like he says he doesn't want to screw up. Yeah, I think it's a mix of his insecurity, and I think he's just genuinely like a softy, and I think he wanted to show some sincerity, but it did come across like, okay, like let them do their job, right. you know, like just relax. He's like, okay, and you know, are you sure? What are the odds? And like, all right, guy. But he saw <laughs> that he wanted the odds in this episode. He also wanted the odds like two episodes ago, where he was like, oh, well, I wanted to be. He was like seventy five percent. He's like, I wanted to be at like ninety. Yeah. 
What's the like in a mission in terms of military missions, you're the odds are all you never know what's going to happen. And so for him to be like, oh, well, I don't want to lose somebody. The chances of you losing somebody in a military mission is always very high. Mm -hmm. And um, so it, it was just very odd to me that not not necessarily odd. It was just like it just made me like, are you serious? Yeah, like, you know yeah. somebody's going to be like, like I mean the 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 mission in, in today's episode was very parallel to the Osama bin Laden mission in mm-hmm. terms of style, in terms of this compound, in terms of um, the SEAL team going in, not necessarily them dropping in because they actually went in through the through the gate, blew the gate up, but um, it, it, it had all the trappings of what happened, you know, a few years ago when the Obama administration took out Osama bin Laden, but you know them losing a SEAL team member didn't happen during that mission, but. The, the, I mean, you already, they set the episode up for him to lose somebody. Yeah. It's oh, dramatic yeah. effect. It was very sure. dramatic. Yeah. Totally. Talking about their families and <laughs> right. the baby becoming the marriage. Like, you, we were all prepared. Okay, well, someone's going just to just pulling die. on the heartstrings really yeah. early. Like, they okay. want us to cry. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Well, I had mentioned it, it's tough for Tom because as we talked about in the series, he he's an academic. He, he's never really served an eye. Uh, he's ever run for a political office. So I, I can understand it's easy in the abstract to know. I think all of us would know like there's a potential of losing somebody. But to be the person that actually has to make that decision with somebody with that l- lack of political exp- expertise, I could see why... You might have a little crisis of conscience when so you're doing it. A that. couple people in the chat seem to agree. Like I would be... Uh, Chaos one three two and two says I would be scared too, and Mutario says, "Well, Tom has no experience with this. Yeah. I mean, has he not watched like TV? Like, you know? <laughs> we we know how this goes, theatrical or not theatrical. Right. We know how this goes. But I think at the same time, people always forget that Tom always talks about not being, not having experience as a president. But he was the head of a of a a, a department. Mm-hmm. So he has some managerial experience. It's not like he's going in like he has no clue yeah. what he, how right? to deal with people, but he's acting like he has no idea. Yeah, you, I completely you know, agree with that. But he has like moments of like force, you know, and moments. just mo- that's the thing. It's <laughs> right. moments where he'll be really just forward and know like the right calls to make and very confident and then there's moments like this where he's just like a deer in headlights like what do i do and he's in a tough position right now because he wants he doesn't want to lose any more americans in general like Mm -hmm. they just we just lost you know over 500 people in a bombing so he's really trying too hard in terms of the mission that we saw today in assuring people that he's not going to lose people well we know this is what this is what these guys train for yeah they're yeah, going in to fresh. do a job. You know, it is all still fresh. So he's trying to kind of mitigate some of that. And then we'll see that in the next episode where we saw, you know, they're trying to bring, you know, I guess the the preview is like they're trying to bring people together. So it's just a little bit of that's where his headspace is right now. Uh, and we see that the initial mission doesn't go as it intended. Just before the uh, Tom orders the bombing to happen and then they immediately find out that uh, Nasir has actually left the compound. He's not there. The intelligence is no good any longer. So they're basically in a holding pattern while they're trying to find him. Uh, which is always kind of a bummer. He finally made his first uh, very you know strong declaration. Let's do this. And like, oh, I can't. All right, fine. Uh, but then we also have uh, a little week of Peter McLeish, our congressman who survived, our lone survivor. Peter. Yes. You know we do. Um, Renee and I do Quantico. Oh, all right. And um, Quantico. Right. <laughs> and one of the things that I that I say every episode is it's a theme for our show, which is trust no one. And in this show, you can't trust anyone either. 
Yeah. I don't know if I should trust Virginia Madsen's character or Kimby Hookstratton. I don't know if I should trust Malik Yoba, the head of the FBI, because I always talk about it in shows, and it's just like lifting that veil. As Frank knows, we like kind of lift that veil of secrecy <laughs> in Hollywood sometimes. Um, as former tour guides, or as for, former tour guide, Frank's tour guide. But um, there's no... If you put a, a, a big-name actor in a show, they're always going to be somebody important that you really need to know about. Or they're, they're going to do something crazy. Virginia Madsen's character might be a red herring because she does seem so secretive um, um, as, as Hook Stratton. But um, Malik Yoba is you know head of the FBI. And he seems to like want to kind of get in. Like Even McLeish might be a red herring because he's just too good to be true. But I also wrote down that, you know, is I wrote down before it even popped up for the preview even, or the end of the episode is Peter angling for a top spot VP or speaker. And then they brought up the speaker portion and then they brought mm-hmm. up the VP portion. I was like, well, called it. He did <laughs> not. Uh, he didn't even have to think about it. He just showed yeah. up. <laughs> exactly. We're 105. I, I, I feel like all survived. he did was like shake his hand and say, you have my full support. And they were like, this guy's Nobody the guy. Check into his yeah, it was to me that was like, do you all even agree? too quick. Guys, guys, it's all about the validation. The first person to be like, I support you one hundred percent. He's like, Do you want to be my right. president? I mean he That's just gave the guy is. a medal too, you know, like I don't know. That's how Trump picked Mike Pence. <laughs> do you Are you repulsed you, by me? Right, no? Oh, wait, let's go. Let's do this. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it together. <laughs> if you had to pick somebody there in his administration to trust right now. That you feel like you could trust one hundred percent. I'm leaning towards Emily. Emily, the yeah. only the first one lady. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and even then, I don't know if I can trust her. Not after this right? episode. Oh, oh my! Leo, what a twist. <laughs> no, I think I think Seth. I think Cal Penn Seth. I think generally he's a good person. At least that's the what you get from him. So I don't think yeah. he, as a script writer, as a um, as a speech writer, I don't think he kind of. Well, now he, he's at the beginning. He already didn't secretary. trust Kirkman, so. I don't think that I think now he's starting to build that trust with Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah. and they, they really dialed back with Aaron the uh, whose side is he on kind of deal. And right now, yeah. at least now that he has the chief of staff position, mm-hmm. seems very much at least for now on Tom's side. However, I mean, it, okay, from this episode, considering he looked into the ex uh, boyfriend Jeffrey Myers, that seemed like that's what came from the file mm-hmm. that he got. So oh. it doesn't even seem like it's a question anymore whose side he's on. And I think they honestly just did that in the beginning to make us suspicious of him. Yeah. But now I'm like not too suspicious of Aaron because I feel like they tried too hard in the beginning to make him like a, a possible bad guy. So now I don't really think much of it. He was just an ambitious person at the yeah. beginning. And, think- and of course, you know, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs was fired and they had a relationship. So that is still going to come up probably in the next couple episodes. Like, you know, they had that moment in the in the on the West Wing corridor where they were walking and the general said to him, you know, like, what are you doing? And so and then they, they dropped it. Mm-hmm. So it's got to come back up at some point. Yeah, I feel like it, when it's most inconvenient for Tom is when that general's going to rear his ugly right. head again. It's yeah. like, ah, guess right. what? You need me to make this happen. It's not going to be that easy. But the new general is Michael T. Williamson, who was Bubba Gump and Forrest Gump, <laughs> which right. I don't think a yeah. lot of people realize. Like he's like, you know, he's doing a new show called Rebel on BET soon. But like he is like making a comeback. Yeah, Bubba Gump is making I, a comeback. I will always remember him from ATL personally. Or ATL. That was a classic. <laughs> If <laughs> you're uh, watching this, <laughs> oh gosh, what was uh, the name of that series with uh, was uh, with uh, Donnie Wahlberg, um, the police show? Oh shoot, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, it was on a couple seasons for NBC, really good. But he played a uh, police officer on that. Oh. Yeah. One of the things that really bothered me this episode, and I think it's just kind of fa- playing fast and loose with um, 
with just uh, nuances of government is the fact that they talked about Tom Kirkman declaring war. And that bothers me as just a political junkie because I'm like, well, that he wasn't declaring war on a country. He was actually just doing a, it was called the mission yet. They kept saying, Oh, he's declaring war. Now he's got an, and then Virginia Matz uh, or hook was like, you know, if you're going to declare war, well, he's not declaring war. Yeah. That was he's annoying. just doing a mission. It's always like a roadblock. She just wants to be there. Yes. I but like I, I, I'm just saying that's just from a, just from a, like, uh, I agree with you. That's not yeah. really, I say war circle. Matt, who wasn't declaring war on anybody. They went in for a mission. It was in and out. And that was it. There wasn't an elongated process. There was no money, um, you know, that Congress had to, like, Congress, <laughs> the two people <laughs> in Congress had to appropriate. So um, it was just a little, eh, that's a little weird that they would put war in there and, and then have the title of the episode called The Mission. The Mission. Yeah, I well, agree with that. Well, I feel like uh, Hook Stratton, for as much as she said that, you know, she wants, you know, the, the government to run smoothly, she's going to put her support behind Kirkman. Man, she just uh, she's having a tough time living up to that because she just wants to be involved in everything. Her motives are so clear, though, because when they were in the old office, even discussing when she initially came up to him, was like, hey, are you, you know, asking about him declaring war. And I think it was Aaron who made like a sarcastic comment like, oh, you just want to know so that if it goes bad, you can just say you had nothing to do with it. And I, I just feel like she just wants to be in the know to be a step ahead. I don't trust her character. I never have. And yet, what's her relationship with Peter McLeish? That is that was suspect. the weirdest thing. She's like Peter. She's yes. like I didn't expect to see you so soon. Uh, like wonder- that what was, was that? so strange. I'm wondering if she, if they're in this, if, if Kirkman, Hookstrat, and I, I can't remember in the first episode they, they talked about whose party they belong to. But I wonder if they're all in the same party because if they're not, and Hookstratton has seniority over McLeish, and she's like a, she was already a senior leader, then. Maybe she just maybe she just is exerting her seniority over him as a senior leader in her party. Maybe I, the way that uh, she, when they were leaving the Oval Office, come on, we're going, Peter. Like, what? Yeah, what was that? Jesus! Oh, there um, goes your movie. Yeah, uh, Steve, thank you for that. Uh, I, I, they were in Boomtown together. That Boom was a Town. really, uh, really good two uh, two season show on NBC. Uh, yeah, so we've got uh, Peter McLeish. Uh, I mean, they give him they give him the medal right there because even though he, I mean he was the lone survivor, and they also give him to the first responder. But what do but, they give him a medal for? I know he survived. He survived like, because he it's was like a in participation a medal. <laughs> you know, like yeah, you survived. You get a medal. You showed up. Good Whoa. job, you. Medal then vice presidency. Right, man, yeah. he did it right. <laughs> and I do like Kirkman's like segue to that. You know that my code name is Phoenix, but uh, I'm not oh. the one who rose from the that ashes was cute. like this man. I was like, yeah. He earned it there. Uh, so, but now they, uh, they kind of see him as a tread. I mean, he, Kirkman tells Emily, you got to focus on Congress. And he, uh, she and Aaron start kind of figuring out what to do. And they see good old uh, Peter McLeish as maybe a viable candidate for Speaker of the House as opposed to Hook Stratton. Right. And I think that just, just from a, like, I think that's a mistake way to go because I think you need to build Congress first to give the people a chance to talk about who's going to be. You can't. Yeah. Who's he going to lead? Hookstrat? <laughs> what are they going to do together? Like, why would you name a speaker of the house? Maybe they were talking about in the future. I think they were talking about run in the future. You know, yes. that's a that's a that's a easy pick. McLeish being in. But, you know, uh, all right, so uh, somebody that's way more uh, politically knowledgeable than I am, you are in uh, those. You're in the show. How would you go about rebuilding the government? What would be your first steps? 
uh, you got to have elections. You need to have all the governors call special elections. That should have been the first, you know, a couple months in, you really need a functioning government. You tell all the governors, even the governor of Michigan, who's locked up right now, (laughs) um, you say, listen, you need to start calling special elections in your districts and then do it that way and then build it back up from there. And there's been a series of this. He's That's good. Jeez, they need to tap you <laughs> I, for this show. You know, like... tap me for VP. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling Michael Klaus will not be coming back. To this <laughs> Sorry, Michael. I don't know. I, I, don't know. I, I don't like the idea of McLeish being VP at all because I feel like that puts him in such a position to like he's take bad. over. Yeah, he's obviously bad, and he's on the in like close with Hookstra. And obviously, what if he becomes VP and then? I don't know, for some reason, Kirkman's impeached or whatever happens. And then he moves up, brings on Hookstra. Like, it just seems like a slow takeover. The Recipe other, for disaster. The yeah. other problem with the VP situation is that Congress also has to approve the vice president. So either way, you still need people. Hookstra <laughs> can't go, oh, yeah, I'm going to vote for uh, McLeish. Yeah. <laughs> VP. Count all the ballots, just Great, one. Right. Like, you just know, one. The, there, there is a process to choosing this. Just like the speaker, you got to yeah. go back in, and they have the, the vice president has to be uh, chosen or elected uh, by the by Congress, and uh, that has to happen. So I, I'm hoping, just for realism's sake, that they don't just in next episode they don't just go, oh hey, he's the VP now. That would be yeah. very disappointing. But they asked him in the preview. Yeah, but you can ask somebody. I mean, he's still, I mean, I'm sure he'll be like acting VP or whatever. Like they'll have to go through the motions. But I'm hoping they just don't tell viewers like, oh, now he's the VP and now he's in the office because that would I be really a mistake. I really hope I that. hope Hannah gets to him first. Yeah, Honestly, Hannah. All this get in stuff there. needs to hit the fan before they give, just give this guy the job. I like, feel like Hannah is going to like run into the Oval Office at some point. Like yeah. Without, yeah, too. Like For real. She's just going to bust in there and not even worry about <laughs> yeah. it. And well, then uh, Kiefer Sutherland's going to Jack Bauer her and they're, they're going to have a big, they're gonna have some, some stuff going on. Well, yeah, let's get uh, get into here uh, with Hannah. She, uh, of course, got the call last episode about something in Capitol Room 105. And we find out that's a hidden room in the Capitol building. Uh, so, but as Renee, you were saying that, I mean, Hannah started uh, calling these, she was suspicious from the get-go about uh, McLeish, and uh, it seems like everything that she's been finding out has been uh, proven true. Uh, yeah. Everybody that was involved in the uh, in the building of Room 105 that's been reconstructed in the last renovation into a bomb shelter, uh, everybody that was responsible in doing the renovation has uh, died uh, either through accident or natural causes, quote-unquote. Yeah. that I mean, honestly, I was waiting for that. I was waiting for more evidence to come. But here, here's what I'm wondering now. Okay, please, what is his name, her boss, his actual name in the show? Oh, Jason. It's Jason? I think it is Jason. Okay, I don't know if Jason is good at this point because I feel like Jason Jason would be the one that would have to talk to someone of higher power or, like, go find Tom. I don't think Hannah would be able to do it, and I think that would be the one delay that that would have for the message to get across. So I think he could potentially be bad. I agree with you a little bit just because he already tried to silence her. Mm-hmm. And initially Second. was like, yeah, you know, this is kind of crazy. So if he is bad, he can easily say, well, you know, this agent has had a history of, you know, spewing mm-hmm. out conspiracies. This isn't yeah. true. It, it could easily just be a cover up. But I am banking on the fact that he is good and maybe we'll help her. Someone has to help her. I mean, because I, I can so. understand his reluctance. If, you know, everybody that's been involved in this has died, I can understand why you have, would it feel like you can't trust anybody. I, well, yeah, I get that aspect, but I just think that. 
uh, there's a lot of people involved in this, and I think a good few of them are characters we already know. Joy- and so I'm trying to... Joyful Kia says Jason is a traitor. Oh, oh. Joy- Jason is a traitor? Oh. My goodness. Look at I you. Think, I think that there is... I mean, we talk... I hate to bring up Quantico, but we talk Just about... You're no like, <laughs> why... Why are all the black people bad? What is happening on these shows on ABC? <laughs> Both of the black people are on Quantico I are mean, They are suspects. That is a good is point. Now suspect. Hmm. I don't like it. What's going on? <laughs> Come on. Now, Hook uh, in exchange for giving Hannah Wells all the confidential information about the people responsible for the, uh, the, the reconstruction for Room 105, says she wants to be kept in the loop. You feel like of course it's just, she does. I mean, of, of course, course, we've already known that she wants to know what's going She's on. But do you think it's through chips. nefarious reasons, or she just wants to be included? No, she wants no. to know everything. So if she needs to use it against somebody, if she needs to use it for her own benefit, she can. She's so good at just being fake. She's because an opportunist. There, there was a moment in their exchange where I was like, "Is she being? <laughs> is she being genuine?" Like. I tried to feel her out, and I was like, nah, I don't get that from her at all. That's why I said I feel like her character might be a red herring, because I do think that, you know, she's trying to protect her district just like any other congressperson, and she wants a say. And if she wants a future, she's going to have to say, I was there in the room. I was there in that decision. And I thought it was really odd, speaking of um, Hook Stratton, because when they were doing the actual mission, McLeish was in the room, but Hook Stratton was not. And I thought that was odd because he, did he invite both of them and she just didn't show up? Like, why wasn't she in that room? Well, he said that he, he asked McLeish to be there. Right. But why wouldn't Hook Stratton say, I expect to be there too? That's very true. I'm only assuming that, uh, that McLeish is there because Tom would, would assume that he would have accepted the speaker role. So maybe he's like, all right, he's a little bit more important. So I'm going to have him in the but room. You but, would, but you would need, if you're in that room, and I assume it's the situation room. Um, you need some serious clearance. You would have that, to no? have some clearance. I and I think weird. that she has higher clearance than he he does. Yeah. Especially if she could get those schematic, those uh, plans, those classified plans. That's like true. She would have to have more clearance than he is. Than him, he, he had zero poker face in that room. <laughs> I think no, it would have no. been so like parallel to um, what we were saying before. How it was mirroring like when they took down Osama bin Laden, mm-hmm. like how Hillary was there in the room, and yeah. like if Hook Stratton was there, it would have been. That's Hillary's face. That's Hillary's face. In yeah, that. and the and the still <laughs> McLeish did not. He no. <laughs> seemed so unbothered. He's, I said like, he's very calm. Just so calm. I that I don't know. The only time he seemed to get really flustered was the fact that when they got Nasir alive. And that's when he's like, well, right. He's like, oh, no, that wasn't supposed to happen. Right. <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute. He's like, I was supposed to be the only survivor. Uh, and speaking of that rescue mission, uh, what do you think about Tom's choice to actually go to and talk uh, to the commander instead of having the commander come to him? Do you feel like that was like being respectful or do you feel like uh, somebody is like, oh, I just, you know, I just want to go there instead of having him come to the Oval Office and kind of brief me on this mission? I think he was just desperate. Like a Tom move. Yeah. Yeah. He'd be like, I'll go to him. Yeah, I, think, yeah. I, I, I think he wants the respect of the military so much that he feels like he has to cater to them somehow. Yeah. By saying, hey, I respect you by coming to you. So please respect me by, by you know, at least I'm respecting you enough to come to you. And that's basically where Kirkman is. He wants the sat the um the backing of the military just fired the joint chairman of joint joint chiefs and now he's got a new guy in and he wants everybody to say he wants every all the military guys to know i have your back and dylan walsh in you know again another big name star 
in a really obscure minor role. Yeah. How is Dylan Walsh going to play in later? Is he working with the old general? Is he feeding information? Like these are like this type of things that I'm looking at because I'm like I know you'll come back because Dylan Walsh was on like he was killed Nick Tuck. Like, I know. Like but, he, but he died. He died. He, he died. He was the guy that got killed on the uh, the mission. When there was, when, I thought it was. Matt, I thought it was the other guy. No, when the guy got injured, uh, he stepped in to take over his place. Oh, that was yes. the guy. I thought it was. Yeah. The guy. You know who I, I yeah. thought it was the yeah. a young kid that was standing next to him. No, because the commander was supposed to be running it from offsite. Yeah, yes. yeah, yes. yeah. That's yes. what yes. I thought it was. A, as Still as well. team leader Clarkson. Yeah. Yes, okay, and that's why it. it was. It was very heartbreaking because that moment where he was telling Tom, like, "We got, we got, we have someone to fill in," but it was him. Yeah. And we didn't know that. Nope, but uh, we find out at the end. Though. I mean, and but what I did like is the end. He goes and and, and visits uh, when they bring back his casket. He goes, of course, with the baseball cap on, let him know that he's going kind of flying solo. Uh, but then one of the other soldiers comes over there and says, like, hey, uh, you know, you don't question your decision because not, none of us did, and neither did Max. So he needs to stop seeking validation from other people. Yes. He needs to get confidence from within. I agree. I mean, but thing. considering how the whole situation played out in uh, Michigan, where mm-hmm. like even the National Guard turned on him, I'm that, I'm sure that's why he wants to have his thumb on the military right, right now. Yeah. He can't afford that again. Uh, Mutario said Hook Stratton was never in the military, which might be why she didn't have permission to be in that room. But a lot of military people don't have that high of clearance to be in that room either. So I don't think that it would have made that much of a difference what if he was in the military or not. She's she, if she, depending on what committee, if she was on, uh, you know, a Senate or House Committee of Intelligence or whatever, she would have had some sort of clearance to be in there. I do love Joyful Kia. I am certain that McLeish will betray everyone. I won't change my <laughs> mind about him. And you could see evil in McLeish's eyes. Yeah, we all. I don't think anyone here really likes McLeish. Does anyone here like McLeish? I'd get a drink with him. You know. I'm questioning you, Frank. What is going on? I, I think it's just we don't. We don't. It's not that we don't. I don't like him. It's I don't know if I can trust him yet. Well, that's what it is. I don't trust him. I don't know him as a person. Maybe he's a fun dude. But and why were you in the room 105, McLeish? Why well, are you in the bomb shelter? What's going on? What's yeah. going on? Okay, here's a question. With McLeish and Hannah, so I was asking the chat earlier, who do you guys think at this point called Hannah about uh, room 105? Because I think it's someone that we've... I think it might, might be the wife. I'm going to stick by. I think it was his wife. Yeah. Who do you I guys think? think? Yep. Who do you think? Because uh, you weren't even here last the wife. I, once you said it, I was like... I said the wife in my head, and then I was like, oh, yeah, that's who else would call? Right? Who else would call about McLeish? Yeah, and the way that the wife, I mean, last episode with um, McLeish and his wife together was so uncomfortable, and it felt she was, like, forcing some kind of alibi for him, like, oh, I hijacked him right. about the kids. So I feel that was so suspicious, and the fact that we didn't go anywhere or learn anything more about who might have made the call, we're also not looking into that at all this episode, I really do think it was the wife. E- even though he, it, well, the other person that I think it could have been is Hook Stratton. Because Emily, um, I'm sorry, Hannah and Hookstratton had a moment in her office where we all were like, do they know each other? Have they talked to each other before? Like, did she make the phone call to Oh, her? yeah, I thought that was uncomfortable as well. But I, at that time, I was like, sh- sh- she's Scott's wife. And I was like so convinced <laughs> no, about that. No. Because they had a photo in the oh, back. Renee. I just want to know who's dating. And then we tweeted that out. Kimball. Yeah. I just want to know who's dating Kimball. Because... There was a photo placed behind her desk. The only photo there, I find it weird that they placed it there if we're not going to learn who's in that photo with her. And I want to know who it is. It was too blurry to tell if it was Scott or not. But I thought that Scott. would be the perfect 
reason for why Hannah and her had some weird, um, um, uncomfortable moment together. Oh, all right. Uh, well, uh, with that awkward ending, we will wrap up this episode, <laughs> this accusatory moment of uh, the After Buzz show for uh, Designated Survivor. It is actually off next week, so we'll be back in two weeks with the next episode. So we're just going to do a quick wrap-up, wrap up, and we're just going to predict uh, some nefarious dealings, some backstabbing, some political intrigue in the next episode. Fair to say? Yeah. Things that you'll find on Designated Survivor. Mm-hmm. After, yeah. And it's Possibly. called the interrogation, so somebody's going to get questioned. You think so? It'll be us. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll be Actually, questioned. I won't be here, but it'll be us. <laughs> well, I, I don't speak so fast. Oh, I won't speak so fast. Well, we'd yes. love to have you back for sure. We'd love to. Right. Bye, Mike. Yep. And I loved everybody in the chat room, Ivan and Tim and Joyful Kia and Asian filmmaker and Adrian, and loved seeing you guys talk about this episode. That was really great. I love that Joyful Kia will not back down. On oh, McLeish. Yes, you will not. <laughs> uh, but in the meantime, folks, uh, uh, thanks so much for joining in on the chat. You can like us on Facebook. Give us those five stars on iTunes. Subscribe to the YouTube. Channel, and if you want to continue the conversation, speculate, tell us who you hate on the show, who you'll never believe is a good person. Uh, where Leo. can you? Where, oh, oh, Leo, we didn't get to Leo. Thank you. Well, the less about Leo, the better on this show. This episode. Whoa. Bye, Leo. <laughs> yes. If they want to continue the conversation with us, though, Renee, where can they find you? Hey, guys, you can find me on Instagram and on Twitter at Renee Ariel. Uh, hey, guys, you can find me on Twitter at Drexel Heard. You guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Christine Bean. Tweet me. We have two weeks to go. I want to know what you guys think. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Happy Go Jackie Drexel. Thank you so much for being of course, with us. You know, I just want to yes. say one more thing. Since we're off next, you guys are off next yeah. week. The election is November eighth. Make sure you're registered to vote. vote. I will vote. dot com and get out there and vote. Vote early, vote often. Right? Is that how it goes, Drexel? <laughs> get on. Yeah. <laughs> Bye, guys. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.